it's like somebody's going to murder your whole family kind of voice. <laughs> Welcome to episode three of the Audiobook Club podcast. Um, my name's Jonathan. I'll be hosting today along with my two co-hosts if they want to introduce themselves. I'm Michael. I'm Stephen. Cool. So today's book that we'll be looking at is 2001 A Space Odyssey by Arthur C. Clarke, read by Dick Hill. First of all, I want to talk about uh, a small summary of the premise of the book without giving away um, any spoilers. So um, the book starts off with a, an unusual monolith appearing in prehistoric Africa um, about three million years ago. And this inspires a group of hominids, which are kind of like ancestor of modern humans, to use tools for the first time to um, hunt and things like that. And so this is essentially the beginning of the transition to modern humans. So we can say that our whole evolutionary chain um, could be attributed to this um, monolith teaching these um basically man-apes how to um, hunt and use tools and so then it skips forward to the year 1999 and another monolith is discovered on the moon and it's the humans um, discover that it's got a perfect 1 to 49 ratio um, which leads them to believe that this is has been constructed by intelligent beings and then the rest of the book is based on a um, a journey or yeah, a mission to uh, Jupiter, or sorry, Saturn. Um, so this is one thing that I will be bringing up later, is the difference. Um, the book actually uses Saturn, and the movie uses Jupiter. But anyway, the um, mission to Saturn within the book. Um, and this begins with five human crew members, and only two of them are conscious, and the other three will be awakened closer to Saturn. So that's essentially a brief summary of what happens in the book. So it's uh, mainly kind of most of it is focused on the actual space mission. Um, so then why did I choose this book? First of all, uh, I'm quite interested in science fiction topics. And this book, of course, is probably, you could say it's the biggest influence on science fiction. It was probably the first major piece of work on science fiction um, in terms of space travel and things like that. Um, so I just thought it was right to um, go for this one early on in this podcast as well as when it was written it was actually released in 1968 which is one year before the moon landing so they didn't even know you know no one had actually been you know just past the you know the outer reaches of earth so no one had actually been as far as the moon or anything that like that so this was kind of revolutionary in what it was showing and what it was discussing in terms of space travel um, and you know everything had to essentially be made up um of course i'm sure they did do some research into the science behind things like this but um they had nothing else to base it on no actual real life missions or anything and then of course there is um part of the story which we'll get into more depth is the um, perils of technology specifically ai so um we'll talk about that more later um but yeah all those um those topics would interest me um, so I just thought this, and it was a book, of course, that's um, quite popular and one of those kind of read before you day books. And I've never read it or seen the film, so um, I was just quite interested to do it. 
So anyway, I would like to um, pass it over now to discuss what did they know about the book. Um, you know, in terms of external media, have they read it before? Have they seen films? So um, yeah. So what do I know about it? Like, I mean, I've read, I've seen the film uh, before reading the book. This is the first time I've read the book. Uh, but uh, yeah, I've seen the film a few times, um, and obviously, as you said, it's kind of influenced. Um, a lot of if not all science fiction that's come afterward so you kind of see um see it's you know certain parts of it cropping up in different pieces of uh, media like for example uh let's take one out of there like the ai going wrong that we could say like i don't know terminator could could have drawn from that or um you know there, there's kind of um alert allusions to uh, Hal and loads of different sorts of media. Hal specifically, uh, like me and my, me and Michael were chatting there before the episode in uh, Recess. There was an episode of Recess with a Hal copy in it. Yeah, and, I know. think I think Wally uses it as well. Um, it's there's like a the the yeah. AI controls the ship. Yeah. yeah, the the villain, the villain and Wally. Yeah, and Portal yeah. is another one. Uh, so the the main villain mm-hmm. in Portal is also based in Hal. So. Substance. There, there, yeah, there, there's, there's definitely loads of like um, uh, stuff out there that's that's influenced by two thousand one, um, and yeah, uh, I didn't know that it was before before the moon landing though. I, I didn't realize that, so that's that's pretty interesting. So I have listened to this audiobook before. Uh, actually, listened to it earlier this year. So listening to this was the second time I've listened to it this year. Uh, but before that, I watched the film. I watched the film about five or six years ago and then in preparation for this episode i have watched the film again after reading the book so i've experienced the story four times together so and i'm ready to talk about it so i guess we'll go into um the high level review without kind of giving anything away um just kind of what you thought of the book did you like it things like that um so yeah i can go over to Stephen here um what did you think of the book um what did you like about it what did you not like about it <laughs> I had uh, okay, <laughs> so I had a bit of trouble reading this book um, for a number of reasons, but uh, mainly uh, I don't know. I think there's there, what I thought about the book. There, there was a lot of setup in this book, right? Particularly in the first half, a lot of stuff being set up that doesn't really pay off for for a good long while. <laughs> and I think as short as the book is, I think it kind of went on too long. Um, but it, it was a hard lesson for me, I think. And I also think that, um, like, a lot of the stuff, uh, there's a lot of visual stuff in the film, which uh, doesn't really work in a book form, I think. Um, and I know that it was written, as as you find out in the sort of prologue bit, where the, the author, I assume it was the author anyway, kind of talks about the writing process and how he, like, he was writing it as they were making the film. So it was kind of in tandem sort of thing uh, but I think that there's a lot of things in the film and the book that don't translate as well as the film did if that makes yeah. sense um, but, 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 but saying that once uh, this kind of second half I, I found it more more easier more, more easier to listen to yeah more uh, engaging in a, in a sense the, the, the stuff stuff with Hal and the you know the aftermath of that and everything uh, that, that was really really interesting I thought but the first half I did think suffered a bit and it, it kind of went on too long um, say I mean I did enjoy it though uh, I'll, I'll not say I didn't uh, like totally didn't enjoy it but uh, yeah 
yeah it's 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 a book that's like so heavy on ideas one thing you can really say about this book is it's it's not short of ideas and it was so it's like a phrase i think is probably very cliche to say about this book but it needs to be said that it is by the very definition ahead of its time it just was so prescient and um jonathan alluded to the fact that's the first or or one of the first space science fiction I, i wasn't aware of that to be honest i know that um frankenstein by mary shelley is considered to be by most by many people the first science fiction book so it's uh, it's interesting to hear that part of this book um i i really enjoyed the book it was really dense on ideas it's uh the writing style is very clinical it's very matter of fact and explaining you know the setup to the spaceship and, and everything the description it's not really it's not really character focused or anything yeah it is that it's like that's very common i find in, in science fiction books because science fiction writers seem to be very obsessed with detail and Arthur C. Clarke just does throw a lot of detail at you constantly so I can see why why it might be a difficult read for some people definitely it's it's very it's it's not difficult to understand or anything but it's dense yeah and uh and it's it's light on characters I would say it's not character focused at all apart from one example who is the maybe the main antagonist of this book and, and I'm sure we will touch on on who that is um but but yeah I really really enjoyed the book I, I I've read it multiple times now and I've seen the film multiple times and the more the more that I explore the story the more I appreciate it uh, so it's something that I think with multiple viewings multiple lessons multiple reads it it gives more it's a good it's a good thinking book there's so much behind it that you can unpack it more and more yeah Another thing that I was going to bring up is, um, I think it also suffers because of how like far after, uh, like how long ago it was written. Um, not to say that uh, the, um, you know, it's, uh, I don't know, it's it's because because like we're we are so advanced now in a sense. We we have all these kind of things like you know, computers and stuff like that there that kind of. If I, let me put it this way, if I had listened to it when it was written, I think I would have been, I thought it would have enjoyed it far more. I I completely agree with that. I was I was actually going to say the exact same thing. I feel like this book definitely appealed more to people back then before we kind of took all this stuff for granted. You know, now it's just kind of part of life that we can do this. Um, however, I, I do like in the book um, specifically. You know, they have the at the very start whenever. Um, uh, Dr. Haywood is he just taking like a commercial flight out to space? Um, obviously, we still don't have that. They were hop, you know, with the moon, the moon uh, landing being, you know, the first time you know astronauts are going to space. They were obviously thinking, you know, in fifty years, forty years time, we're going to be able to uh, make this commercial. Um, I know people like Elon Musk and stuff are trying to do that at the minute, but um, yeah, even year twenty twenty or twenty twenty two, we're still not there. So that's one of my favorite things is when we pass the date that is within a science fiction book or movie it's just like seeing what they predicted and everything for our era it, it's just it's funny to see the the one that all people always reference is back to the future the version of 2015 i think it is compared to what the reality of 2015 was on that point though there was a lot i think there was a good few stuff in this book that uh actually not maybe not at the exact time but that happened like i can't remember now there was something there's oh, something they mentioned about definitely. talking to... Uh, I can't remember what it was now. There's something... Uh, I can't remember. But you know what I'm saying? Like there, There's a lot of stuff they got right, which, uh, you know, eventually, yeah. right, which is, which is interesting. Yeah. 
even like uh, even simple things like using pads. That's what it was for communication. That, like we have the iPad was, and, yeah. and stuff like that. There's one thing I noticed there. Um, uh, I noticed this in the movie, um, but I guess like you know the book and the movie are closely related. Um, in the movie, he, you know, when the what do you call the unit thing that you know powers the antenna that points back to Earth, the like A thirty five or something like that. Whenever that fails, he uh, the captain uh, David Bowman he asks for a hard copy and it comes out like a punch card, which is what they would have used to like do like coding and things like that, software engineering back then. And obviously by the year two thousand, we were writing proper um, worded language. But um, so I was saying like you know they they obviously couldn't comprehend how things like that would have changed by now. They just assumed, you know, this will probably still be the same. This is the best it's ever going to get. Or maybe they didn't put too much thought into that part, you know, because that wasn't part of them really matter. But, um, yeah, there's things that I do find it quite interesting to uh, compare, you know, when you pass the year 2001, you know, what um, we have and what they thought we would have. Yeah. I do, I do think it's a very it's a very good prediction, even if some things were wrong and some things have been proved to be further out. It's, uh, yeah. You like the the themes of um <clears throat> artificial intelligence we are now we're still behind the era that they predicted but we are entering that era it seems like we're augmenting intelligence and using it as you know for smaller processes and stuff so it's yeah it feels like a lot still a lot of it still applies to the life we're living in right now it feels like he should have named the book 2023 A Space Odyssey or something like that. You know? <laughs> In terms of like what I just predicted is kind of looking now like it is more going to happen. You know, yeah. back then it was kind of, he was looking at it as if like, oh God, this is going to be possible in the future. It's going to be class. Whereas now it's kind of, we're living in it happening as the transition's yeah. happening. I think it could have, ha- I think this could have happened. It's just, it's the fact that where science had its focus and it was more science focused on more information so instead of going onto space we now have supercomputers yeah. in our pockets that was where that that was where the focus and the innovation went yeah but if the focus on innovation goes back towards things like energy and space travel and stuff it's definitely possible i would say oh yeah um i guess for myself then just in terms of what i thought i absolutely love the audiobook um I just thought the story was amazing. Um, it's just kind of right up my street with what I kind of usually would like to listen to. Um, as I spoke before, my love of science, um, space travel and technology. And then also that the book is kind of an adventure through space as well. Um, of course, most people, you know, enjoy adventure. Um, but that's that's kind of what my high-level thoughts are on the book. How, how, how accurate do you think the sort of science in it is? Obviously, you you mentioned they probably did background uh, reading about like you know different things, but how how yeah. accurate do you actually think it is, or do you know? Yeah, I I, I don't I, I I mean this is just speculation. I wouldn't know exactly what work they put on. However, I do know that um, I think there's a scene there's a scene where basically I don't want to say too much about it, but what the actual the person's in space, mm-hmm. the bare skin is in space. And they're able to get in their spacesuit and survive essentially from that position. Whereas I think if you if your skin touches like space, I think you know it, you would freeze freezes, instantly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so your blood I'm not would sure freeze how. Or something, anyway, right? I think actually it's that cold. Your blood would start boiling, oh, but your right. skin would then freeze. Yeah. So um, 
But yeah, I think small, small things like that are obviously just trivial anyway in the whole sense of things. But um, yeah, I'm not sure how much effort they would have put on that. But it would have been interesting to know, like, cause cause back then too, how much information about space would have been freely available. You know, now we can just search it up online. But back then, you know, the Americans, Russians, and whatever, they were all trying to keep everything under wraps and stuff. So it's hard to know how much research it could have done. Do you guys ever hear the uh, the terms hard science fiction and soft science fiction? Yeah. I haven't give a give us a an overview of what you mean. Yeah, so I uh, might as well for for the listeners anyway. But um, so hard science fiction refers to something that um, it, it's very it's science is the science science at least attempts to be very accurate and it's very intricate to the plot the science itself. So an example would be of something that is very hard science fiction would be The Martian, where the science is very very important to the plot. And, yeah. and if you read that book, it makes this makes this book feel light and fluffy on the science <laughs> like it's so dense on the science but um if, uh, as an example of soft science fiction where the f- the science is basically just magic would be something like star wars or guardians of the galaxy so on the spectrum of like hard to soft science fiction i would say this definitely is is on harder hard science fiction definitely a lot closer to that end of the spectrum and it has attempted to be accurate i'm not an expert on, on science or anything but it at least gave me the illusion that everything felt accurate yeah so i don't know don't know how much that's worth that's yeah, that no, that I is agree, the yeah. thing i would say is that whether it was correct or not what they were talking about it all like fit together and made me believe that it was accurate yeah so <laughs> i was like 100 percent. that makes perfect sense <laughs> <laughs> yeah it seemed like you knew what i was talking about definitely um i guess then we can move forward into the spoiler review part so um We'll get more in-depth now into the characters and the plot in general. Um, so I guess we'll start then with the characters. Um, the first kind of main character we come across, which is is not he's not given a name in the film, but in the book um, he's referred to as Moonwatcher. So this is the man-ape who lived in the prehistoric Africa. Um, so he and his tribe and his species, they're all faced with extinction. Um, but then the monolith intervenes, teaches them um, how to... Um, use tools so they can hunt and survive um so have you guys any thoughts on Moonwatcher? the thing is though he's so primitive right that's the whole point of it yeah that it's hard i don't even know why the well i suppose for the book you kind of have to but like why does he need to have a name and stuff because he could have been any of the apes at any time because they're all basically the same <laughs> right he's no real personality or other than he's like the leader there's no real sort of personality to him or you know yeah like so, the way like in, yeah. in the book it's it's like i think it starts by saying that his, his father like died or something like that and he's like and i never thought of him again yeah but like uh, as a character i mean there's I, I don't know there's not much to say like i don't think yeah he's um he's just a lot of characters on this are just they're just vessels to explore the ideas I would say, and and that's definitely the case with um. Did you say Moonwatcher was his Moon name? Moonwatcher, yeah. Moonwatcher, yeah. So um, on this section of the book in general, I don't know how you guys feel about this intro. It's um, it's there's definitely it's definitely divisive from what I've read online because I like to read other reviews to get ideas for talking points and stuff, but it's uh it's definitely a talking point this this part of the book. It's like um, and you you guys both touched on the fact that the book and uh and the movie were made concurrently more or less yeah. which is really 
which is really unique. It's it's not something that I'm aware of another another situation where that happened. It's it's an interesting process. But for the start of this book, yeah, I I, I think the beginning is very interesting. It's almost like incomprehensible, I would say, in the movie. I had no idea what was yeah. happening when I first watched the film. It's, it makes a lot more sense in the book. It's a bit of a, a bit of a harder open for the film because you are literally like, what the f*** is going on? Yeah. <laughs> isn't there, yeah. Oh my isn't God. there like a fame? Sorry, I don't want to, to like uh, divert too much from the book, but isn't there like a famous quote from some uh, Hollywood person where he like walked out of the movie and was like, what the hell did I just watch? <laughs> like after the monkey part? <laughs> but- yeah, that's how I felt when I first watched the movie. I'll get, I'll talk about my second watch when we go on to the the talk about other media part. But yeah, I thought Moon Watcher, he he was just a vessel for the story. I don't think he he served his purpose badly or anything. But there's there's not much else to talk about. He's all instinct, doesn't he? And that's the purpose of him. He's just he's just to to show that when we were simpler and and driven by our base baser instincts. Yeah, yeah. There's um. So the only th- the main note that I have about Moonwatcher, so the there are like certain underlying topics um, within the book. Um, one being that of conflict, um, and essentially a kind of war because this was written during the Cold War as well. Um, so there's obviously references to nuclear kind of war as well um, further on in the book. Um, however, Moonwatcher, it seems to have the start. You know, the man, the, the monolith teaches humans um, how to use tools and they use them to hunt and get food to avoid starvation. However, they then use them to kill a leopard, which is like preying on them. So that's like a form of self defense, you would say. However, then Moonwatcher uses a club to kill the leader of the rival tribe, which is kind of the start of war between humans. Um, before that, they, they didn't actually like seem to fight physically. They just kind of. You know, jumped up and down and shouted at shouted each other. At each other, yeah. Yeah, the the movie mix is just that's a hilarious scene in the movie. I think whatever they do that, but um, <laughs> yeah, I think that that is one underlying thing is the kind of yeah the the even though these these higher beings who've left the monolith are teaching people to use tools. Um, I don't know. It seems like some kind of experiment to me. What's going on in terms of like they're like okay, we'll teach them to do this. Let's see how they react. Did they pass the test? Kind of thing. But yeah, I think um, in Watcher, of course, there's no dialogue in the whole um, prehistoric time. Um, so yeah, there's not much else to say on him apart from that. Um, so I guess we can move on to the next character um, that we come across. So I'm kind of just going on these in terms of the order that would there appear. Um, that's Dr. Haywood Floyd. So he's the one that travels to the moon um, where the TMA-1 monolith, which is the second one's discovered. He's a vessel, like Michael was saying. For, for the story like we kind of see the sort of at the time i guess future through through his eyes and stuff he does like you know he's traveling to the moon so we get to see like the commercial flights and stuff all out there um and you know we get yeah. introduced to the, the monoliths and stuff through him but as a character there's not much to say <laughs> you know we don't really find out a lot about him yeah like I once heard um somebody teaching creative writing who said that you know a character is really well developed when you can easily imagine what their next day is like without it being written for you because they're yeah. they're just so real to you you can you just know what they're gonna do and and then you know it's it's not it doesn't really apply to any characters really in this book because they're just there for for this story they're just there for a very idea driven book. Yeah, there there was a there was a bit that I, I just came to my mind there. The 
now that I'm thinking about it, it's like, why did that have to be in the book? <laughs> it's almost like they were trying to develop him as a character, but you know, he calls back home or something, or he leaves a voicemail kind of thing for his like maid or something. Why? Why that part? Or why? Why? Yeah. I think. Like why? Hmm. I think like. Why was that important to the story if they weren't trying to develop his character? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I think like they the the separate um monoliths are just like it's just like different pieces to a puzzle and it's just showing us that because they're set further and further out it's like okay humanity you need to develop this much to get this far when you develop this much you will be ready for this information basically and I think that's I think that's kind of one of the ideas um that is being explored in the plot but I, I yeah. yeah I don't know I don't know how much sense it made to have a different character make this discovery yeah because i think like, i was a bit confused when definitely reading the book i think it's of course easier whenever you're uh, watching a film because you can see the difference um before it did actually introduce the names of like the people on the discovery one um ship i was like is this the same guy or is this a different guy i'm not really sure um so i didn't know if yeah it, it really yeah, could so be the same person like, yeah it was just maybe just adding another character just because he wanted the create more characters um who knows why they added them but um yeah. i think yeah the main the main point you might you covered there is uh, the discovery of the second monolith on the moon saying okay humans have gone took them three million years to get from starting to use tools to being able to get to the moon so that's really the significance yeah. of so i think like the moon watcher and the dr howard floyd are kind of maybe only the first maybe 15 percent of the book uh, in terms of the chapters oh, hold on no just just another point i want to make is uh because just why we're on Floyd, uh, does, isn't it him who says about how the, or one of the characters that we meet w- along with him, um, that the, they call it the monolith on the moon, was like they they thought it was a sort of like a beacon or like yeah. a, an alarm thing. Yeah, I, I I just think that that's interesting. Like you're saying, uh, you know, it took them this long to get to the moon, sort of thing. So it is that sort of alarm, yeah. And also, he does uh, he does reappear later on in the book uh, in the in the last couple of chapters, talking to um, yeah uh, David Bowman uh, yeah yeah to tell him that that whole crack <laughs> yeah. So it seems yeah. So Howard Floyd is kind of like he's almost like in charge of the mission or whatever you know. He's kind of like the lead astronomer. Um, I think he's the astronomer and he's chairman of what they call the National Council of Astronautics. So that seems like an important role in terms that he's the one that's going to design the mission and things like that and that's what his relevance of being there and then he's you know the person that's yeah created this mission um okay so on to then the the captain of the discovery one so this is now in the year 2001 um when they're making their journey to um jupiter or sorry saturn in the book and uh, i'm just going to keep getting those mixed up the whole the whole time um yeah so yeah it's, 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 i think that's like the movie and the book that they just meld together yeah. in, in my mind anyway i don't know if it's a safe for you to hear well they were intending to clearly yeah. um yeah so the captain of the discovery is david bowman um who later becomes the star child so we'll uh maybe discuss the star child separately um and start with just david bowman as i was saying it's it's like it's hard to separate this book and the movie in my mind so i'm not sure how much of this was in the book but um one thing i would say 
he you at least get a feeling with uh bowman that he's more driven than any of the characters we've seen yet he seems he seems very focused and very mission orientated he just so so i think that that alone makes him more compelling again he's, he's not too much fleshed out in terms of his his life outside of the mission there's bits and pieces but yeah i think he's he's effective for the the type of story i think that is being told here yeah i mean uh same, same again as, as as floyd like i mean I, there's a bit more to bowman like but uh it's he's more so just the vessel again to see you know the story through his eyes rather than um being developed as a character as it were so i mean i don't think i've anything to add other than what michael said really yeah like there's not a lot of dialogue in this book i think it's more narrative like it's more from a third person perspective or so like it's it's not yeah from their um first person perspective that much um i feel but yeah, you don't. Most of the characters, you don't get a sense like they're not. It isn't like a very character-developed book. It's more about the story rather than the characters. Um, so I know it is. It is tough for us to um, discuss the characters. Um, I guess yeah, as the captain, yeah, like Michael said, he's he's very driven. You know, as you would have to be to be the captain of a of, of a mission like this. Um, but in that sense, it kind of makes him maybe a bit boring um, for me. Uh, just that you know they're just so focused on the mission and stuff like that. It's just kind of very uh, routine, it seems. Um, so I don't really get too excited too much from Bowman. Um, I guess as well. Then you have his deputy, um, Frank Pull. So the so Bowman and Pull are the only two conscious beings on the ship. The other three, um, it might mention their names, but of course they um, don't have any dialogue in them, so they're not really major characters. Um, so I think one of them's mentioned a bit. I think it's called it was called White Hair or something. Yeah. Um, so Frank Pill is the deputy. So um, the other person on the ship um, who was conscious, um, and essentially, you know, him and Bowman kind of the only interaction we really get um, for most of the book is between them two, and the next character as well that we're going to um, discuss, um, Hal. But. Um, yeah, I guess I don't have really too much to add on Frank as well. He's very similar to Bowman, just kind of very routine, very uh, focused on the mission. Um, yeah. Uh, do you guys have anything else to say about him? Not really. I think that is like the, like a big point the book is trying to make too, and, and the movie is like how, um, how space is probably really boring most of the time. It's probably, it's, <laughs> it's just, I think there's a quote, but I, I'm not going to attempt the quote because I'll just... You know, I'll get it wrong, but it's it's something to do with um how how space travel would be like these extensions of boring time with these minor moments of absolute excitement in between. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's that's accurately portrayed in the movie. In the book too. Yeah, because yeah, I think I think a lot of space, most of the time when there's space travel, you know, and things like Star Wars, there's always that scene of going through a um like a field of like space. Or well, not hyperspace. <laughs> a uh, like a field of like comets or asteroids, like an asteroid belt yeah. or something like that. There's always that scene of dodging, and I'm pretty sure early on in the book, it's like we've already calculated what we'll come into contact with, and there's no worries. So it's it's just like yeah. um, already saying there's going to be no exciting scene of um, <laughs> dodging asteroids. It's already told us that. So yeah, uh, the real excitement, I guess, will come from now. Um, I'm sure this is a character. At least we can discuss more on um is the hal 9000 
Um, mm-hmm. So the HAL 9000 is Discovery's intelligence, essentially, that controls um, and monitors most of the ship functions. Um, however, it's also like a you know very sophisticated AI that it's supposed to be close to being human itself, um, having feelings and you know able to have conversations and have relationships with humans. Um, so of course, um, HAL eventually malfunctions and kills everyone in the crew apart from Bowman. Um, so that was what I was discussing about him. He actually tries to kill Bowman, but he gets the space suit on and is able to um, shut down um, HAL eventually. However, yeah. I want to just get your thoughts in on what you thought of HAL before um, all that happens, you know, before we actually knew that he was um, evil. Well, here's the thing, like, as it says, the, this is the part of the book where I started getting super interested again, was mm-hmm. the HAL stuff. And it's I find it kind of funny because he's an AI, but he's the most like character with the most personality. I was gonna I was gonna say <laughs> the exact book. same thing, Stephen. I was gonna say that exact thing. Which is which is which is pretty funny. Like, um, but yeah, obviously you know he's programmed to kind of carry out the mission and make sure everybody's like taken along with no no issues, and he's the only one that knows the purpose. Or uh, isn't that the right? He's the only one that was the purpose of the mission. And he's supposed to tell. I think him yeah, the the, the three people sleeping. I'm pretty sure know it as well. Oh right, right, they're right. asleep, but yeah, yeah, the two, yeah, Bowman and Pearl don't know. Yeah, yeah. So so basically, like he develops a fault, or you know, there's there's some sort of error in his programming which causes him to kind of try and protect himself, as it were, uh, yeah. by killing off the rest of the the crew mm-hmm. which is uh it's definitely a good twist and yeah i i thought i thought i think he's really interesting as an idea because yeah we like that's constantly talked about nowadays is AI it's going wrong so yeah. you know it's pretty it's pretty nice to, it's, it's nice to see that they were, they were thinking about that even then you know i think cal is an absolute excellent villain i think um he it's a so iconic uh it even it applies to this audiobook not just the movie where the disembodied voice because the audiobook actor kind of mimics that voice as well and i i you said you kind of touched on jonathan that you think he is you you said evil but i think it's there's a question to be had is he is he actually evil because he's just carrying out his programming like there's a conflict that arises on his programming and he's just trying to see it out um so i I think that that's something that could question because he is like um and and i think it's he's interesting thematically because so much of this book is about how a higher form of intelligence has uplifted humanity and now here is hal as an uplifted technology by humans so it's like this kind of grandfather father child relationship and hal is like the product of humans and has the same kind of um flaws built into his programming and there's even points where I felt sorry for Hal, especially when he was getting shut down and he reverts to that childlike yeah. state. I did, I genuinely felt bad for Hal and thought that, you know, he did have good intentions, but he was just, there, there was a, it was, a, it's kind of, it's confusing me, kind of the difference between the movie and the book, because I think there was a difference and has motivations between the two, but there, there's a malfunction and then there's a conflict in his program and he has to keep the mission secret. So well, the, yeah. In the in the movie, I think he it, it uh, that's not explained. I think it's just that he's crazy, right? Uh, 
but in the in the book it kind of goes beyond that where yeah uh, there's this fault in his pro in his programming first of all but then the two guys go off to talk about you know turning him off and he yeah. they yeah there's there's a bit where they mention that it, i think it's actually the narrator that to hal being turned off is like dying uh, so then so he basically as i said he, he has to kind of protect himself then yeah He's just driven Protect. by self self preservation. Then it's it's something that yeah. we can all relate to, like his motives. Yeah, so he has to survive because he needs to carry the mission. So there's a whole yeah. you know conflict there. So I mean, I don't know mm-hmm. if he's a villain necessarily, but uh, I would say uh, yeah. antagonist definitely. Yeah, but, yeah, 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 yeah. I think so. The the actual um, the malfunction is that he has to keep this secret until an appropriate time. However, whenever um, Pool and Bowman get suspicious and ask for answers. He's got another um, program to say that he must give accurate information to humans at all times. So now this conflict arises, which of course, um, I think it's it shows you know what the actual you know AIs in terms of this is in, in real life. I mean, going bad, um, you know, essentially going to a HAL or a Terminator kind of moment. You know, if it happens, it's because of bad human error you know it's human error i think he says hal actually says that within the the book and the movie as well you know that um it's more likely that humans are going to cause the error than um the 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 hal is um so yeah it is always going to be human error um but i like what you said there michael about the um you know the the intelligent life you know lifting humans up and then humans now creating this new life um i think that's quite a, a good point and yeah, just quite interesting. I had never actually thought about it that way myself. Um, but yeah, I think yeah, the the um, I did read stuff on about um, Hal. I think in the the book he's operational since nineteen ninety two, something like that. Yeah, um, because they wanted him to be like a nine year old child. Um, they kind of have that kind of um childlike behavior um yeah so i think that's why that's why um because i'm pretty sure they argued about it um kubrick and arthur c clark um that they uh, wanted essentially uh him to be childlike so yeah you get that feel yeah there was two different ages i uh arthur c clark wanted wanted him a bit older and stanley kubrick was arguing in favor of younger wasn't he yeah 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 exactly um of course, then, yeah, they do um, disassemble Hal, and then it's basically just um, it's just Bowman left on the ship by himself. So um, the other crew member's dead, and then Hal is turned off. Um, so that essentially means that Bowman can't, um, I think, as Hal's controlling most of the ship. Um, so uh, Bowman can't really get back to Earth, essentially. Um, so they fly to, um, he continues on in a way until, until Saturn, and then um, there's this whole part then about finding this third monolith, mm-hmm. and um, Bowman, the ship actually goes inside the monolith. Um, so this bit's, of course, where things get a bit trippy and a bit weird. Yes. Um, so what did you think? I think in terms of like set and stuff like that, this was my kind of favourite part of the book, in terms of when right, it started getting right. all weird like this. Um, I'm um, eager to he- mo- hear your thoughts on it then. <laughs> Yeah, yeah um, I think just because, you know, yeah, like you said, their space is kind of designed to be born. It's, you know, just a big empty space. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it goes into this place, it's especially when you watch the movie. Of course. God. 
yeah uh when i said before the part at the beginning was utterly incomprehensible without the book this part oh my god i did not have any <laughs> clue what was happening the first time i watched this movie it, it makes so much more sense having read the book now and when i went to watch the movie it made a lot it made me appreciate it a bit more yeah uh, yeah. It is. It's. I think I like that it's abstract because I think they were working within a budget, weren't they? They couldn't like do this thing where they appear in this like alien civilization or anything. It just had to be this absolute mind melting kind of experience. Yeah. And then with on that, yeah. And then with on that Bowman's. I don't know. There's probably different interpretations of what happens then. Whether it's the um the advanced life forms create this shell of something comforting for Bowman to live in or does his mind do that I'm not sure what is accurate but it's probably up for interpretation then he has this like hotel suite that he loves the rest of his days out and it's it's definitely it's definitely interesting I thought it was I thought it was incomprehensible when I first watched the movie but I enjoyed it a bit more reading the book and then re-watching the movie the second yeah. time for me I, I think I would I would go with that uh, this other civilization if you like created it for him because when he's look when he's in the hotel room he, he finds um is it the bible or not does he, he mentions about a bible but he, he there's some uh, some book that he finds and he's flopping through it and the pages aren't like pages right mm. so it's almost like they've kind of this is how i interpret it anyway is that they sort of scanned his mind for things that are recognizable but they don't know how to so the, uh, exactly so they put them together sort of thing uh, they could create like the shell but not the finer details exactly kind of. yeah, yeah, yeah 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 i thought it was you know i think it was designed to be like visually appearing so i think it's better in the movie but like michael said reading yeah. the book and watching the movie gives you a lot better idea well, of it, makes, it makes no happen. sense if you watch yeah it, it, it makes no sense, sense yeah <laughs> yeah um however then the result then is that um bowman is transformed he, i think in the movie it shows it more clearly he ages until he's an old man and he's like lying in bed and then um all of a sudden he's like a baby <laughs> something oh but it, it's, it's like it's clearly, a sudden snapshot yeah yeah it's like he's, he's clearly a powerful being of some sort um so they mm-hmm. refer to him in the book as the star child um i'm not sure to you <laughs> just the star child might be something that people drew from but there's like a member of the you know the band kiss um called the star child i'm not sure if that's where that name came from because yeah um, the star child it's um it's it's like a nece- it feels like necessary thematically because this is all about humanity's journey it starts from yeah. the beginning of humanity the hominids discovering tools and so which you would say that's like the first step towards human evolution and then this is the final this is the final point on humanity where we evolve to the next stage again watching the movie i had no idea that was the point they were making i, I had no idea what the star child was but reading the book, it made me appreciate more that it was. It is all about that journey, and it. I love that. I love that this book does ask big questions, and it's like it's all about humanity's place and the purpose. And I think that's something that science fiction can uniquely explore. So I really like that this book just went those places and just went crazy. I just couldn't understand it in the movie, so I'm glad that I I read the book and found all that out. Yeah, I think the so then the Star Child essentially kind of teleports back there for it can travel at the speed of light or i, I don't know what's going on um, can breathe in space and things i think yeah yeah it like moves through time or whatever so it's like yeah. it sits at um it goes back to earth and i don't this didn't happen in the film but in the book it it detonates um like a yeah. space nuclear warhead um which mm-hmm. i'm assuming kills humanity or whatever 
I think um, somebody I think somebody has clarified that that act that it harmlessly detonated it. Maybe I'm wrong on that, but I think I read that somebody, maybe Arthur Clark himself or some producer of the movie or somebody, clarified that the the nuke was like detonated in a harmless way. But I, uh, they remove, a, they remove, yeah. like they say that it's taken away all the nuclear weapons from humans. They avoid humans using yeah. them and it causes them their own extinction. Um, yeah, so I'm not think really it sure has, that is something that, yeah. I. I think that is something that people debate, though, whether that it was a harmless detonation or whether half the planet was destroyed in that. Or... Yeah, because obviously, the um, like I mentioned before, this was written during the Cold War and the threat of nuclear mm-hmm. war was a big topic at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, so people, I'm sure, thought that that is going to, you know, that was the most likely way humans were going to go extinct was by their own, um, you know, nuclear demise, essentially. I would say that um, it's probably still likely. <laughs> Yeah, no, um, yeah, um, so they, they, um, yeah, that's why I can interpret it as the, the, the BB is like a higher being now, and it's gonna kill off the lower beings kind of thing, so it's more of a dark kind of ending. Right, um, that's right. I, I like to see it because humans that's interesting. have evolved. That's um, not yeah, the way I interpreted it, but I, I think that's a fascinating interpretation. My interpretation was that the, uh, the, the, detonation was that he was destroying the nukes around the earth right so that they couldn't be used aye and like a sort of um, what would that be called like a an, op- an omnipotent intervention intervention right to prevent, yeah like nuclear thing yeah I think that's definitely that's a, definitely possible as well I think um, I think that's the reason I think Kubrick made his movie so abstract compared to the book I've heard people say they feel like the book removes the magic of the movie because the movie is so open to interpretation and you don't know what's happening. Uh, so it leaves at least so many things to be speculated about. But I prefer, I definitely prefer being upfront about things the way uh, Arthur C. Clarke has and, and like trusting us more or less with the information. And then we will like form our own meaning out of give it, being given information. I don't like I don't like things being made very abstract the way Stanley Kubrick often does. I, I do like the movie, but it's just something that I prefer the information and then making up my own mind. Yeah, uh, yeah, no. I'd agree with that, I guess. Um, so the setting of the, the book is, it's actually set in three different times. Um, so the starting is the prehistoric time, um, three million years roughly ago. And in 1999, when they visit the moon, and then in 2001 the actual journey takes place and there's not uh, like the actual moving about in time so much um because it is kind of about human evolution i guess you know that's the whole point and they would have to do that but you know you don't see that in a lot of books um moving through time like that like so suddenly um did, did you have any thoughts about about that did you like do you like that would you like to see that in all our books or I think it fit really well with this book, obviously, because it's as you said, it's the main sort of um, point, <laughs> as yeah. it were, to show the evolution. But I, I almost wish there was like a, a, another point between the prehistoric time sort of, and the and the nineteen ninety nine. There's a big jump there, and then the, the third jump is only two years. You know, it's a bit of it's a bit weird. So I, I think there should be like a a middle point in there. I think like it's a yeah. I think that's nearly like they they want it to intentionally be very jarring because it does feel jarring when you're just you're thrown from the hominids to like future. 
think it's a more like look how how far humans have come but then you've got the nukes in there so we're still we're still hitting each other with clubs you know um i i enjoyed i enjoyed that it was so big in scope from big time periods i do think um do you think I want to see these kind of stories more where it just asks these really big existential questions? Yeah, um, I think I actually I brought up this question for exactly what Stephen said there, that he kind of wished there was another time. I thought that it would have been nice, you know, like, so you have the very, the prehistoric time and the uh, man-apes find the man-off. They don't really know what they think and they just kind of like go along, you know, that teaches them how to use tools or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think then it should have been maybe like the next jump should have been like ancient Egypt or something like that and like you know humans who didn't know back then they didn't know um, much about space but they were kind of fascinated they actually thought it was kind of like the stars might be gods and things like that so maybe they find another monolith and you know it could be something like that's they built the pyramid around it or something like that um, but it would have been interesting that would have made the movie the message of what the monolith is in the movie a lot clearer because um because when the I don't know if Stephen you read you watched the movie before you read the book didn't you Stephen yeah 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 I did yeah was it clear to you that that was what the monolith was doing to the apes like that no. it was like uplifting them uh, me no, neither it's... I had no idea what it was what the purpose of it was or anything in the movie it's just like it, that it's there yeah 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 it doesn't really tell you that that's what taught them to do these things yeah whereas so I think like, like in the book it's kind you're... of like a mind control yeah so I, I think what you're saying Jonathan with um with it like appearing in ancient egypts or showing other leaps forward in humanity saying like also agriculture and whatever that could have um that could have made the message definitely more clear in, in the movie and it would have been interesting in the book as well yeah even just seeing like a snapshot of somewhere like going to ancient egypt and seeing like you see yeah. like a normal a scene of ancient egypt but then the monoliths there as well and then yeah. it jumps to say like a the American Civil War and they're fighting on the battlefield and their monoliths there kind of thing. <laughs> you know, it would have came up. You would have been like, Wait, "What's going on here?" I think it would have built the tension a bit better. Yeah, um, it doesn't even have to be long. Like just literally, yeah, as you say, just like just scenes, we scenes. Yeah, yeah. Just short wee chapters or something, even. Yeah, I think it would have bridged the gap nicely. But I guess what Michael said too, like that, it just the the abruptness of jumping forward as well. I guess does that has its own kind of thing that it's mm. creating. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's kind of one thing I was just, you know, thinking about myself. It's, I thought, you know, if it was me writing the book, that's what I would have done. <laughs> um, yeah. um, so yeah, the next thing um, is going to be um, tension and mystery, which I think are quite intertwined within this book. Um, of course, mystery being probably one of the key themes of the whole book. Um, you know, it's actually a key theme of our real life, you know, is there other intelligent life in the universe? Um, so this book, of course, is probably the first book they really, you know, really touch on it, um, which is, again, one of the reasons I chose it. Um, but yeah, I just want to get your thoughts on what you thought about the, the mystery and the build of tension throughout the book. Yeah, so like, I think the, the monoliths are probably the main source of that mystery. They're the, they're the big question that the book is asking or, and, uh, yeah, I think um, they they it's hard to it's hard to talk about because I watched the movie so many years ago, so I already knew what the monoliths were about. Because after I watched the movie and had absolutely no clue what it was about, I watched YouTube videos that told me what it was about. So <laughs> I can I kind of knew what the monoliths were and everything. Uh, I think 
I think if I had have watched this when this first came out, it would have been an absolutely mind blowing experience, and I would have been like, would have touched me on like a profound level. I would have been like, what are those? What are those? It would have like affected you how I become, thought so much. You you would have become an astronomer. Yeah, it would have. I think it would yeah. have had a big effect. Yeah, I think it was an effective mystery. It was. It definitely had me asking questions. Uh, yeah, I mean, the mystery, I, I liked, it, it, it did have me wondering what, what, what exactly they were the whole way through and uh, what the purpose of them was. Obviously, yeah, I'd, I'd seen the movie and I did much the same as Michael did and <laughs> Googled what, what are those things. <laughs> but um, it, 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 it's, even so, it did, it did kind of provoke that sort of, those thoughts. Um, the one thing I didn't like is that you don't really find out at the end, <laughs> like what, you know, who made them or, or what like you know yeah it's just left up that, in the interpretation that kind of annoyed, annoyed me but I mean as mysteries go I, I thought it was it was it was okay I think yeah the, the um, of course the main mystery yeah, being as we've discussed um, there's also then the mystery of the fact that um, the two main characters on the ship the two human characters don't even know about this yet they don't know about the monolith so there's actually their experience in the mystery as well um and of course there's the whole detective kind of thing where they're like you know what's going on here we need to we they know something's going on um but we need to find out kind of thing um yeah i th- i thought that was i thought that was strange like why of the, all the people if, you, if you're saying the people in cryosleep knew as well right which i can't remember if that's true or not but if why did the two awake people for lack of a better term not know <laughs> what why were why were they kept in the dark is what i was wondering does, does the book say that I, I, can't, I can't remember if the book explains that it explains what that they're that they don't why know. why the conscious ones aren't aren't kept in the look yeah, about that's, that's, yeah yeah i'm not sure either but like uh, it had me wondering was there mm. some reason that you know they didn't they didn't want to tell the people because i don't know they might uh mutiny or something i don't know Right. Uh... Um, them boys, they they talk to the media and stuff too, don't they? Like they they even it's evident in the um the film that they're having like an interview and stuff like that. So maybe they wanted absolutely no way that this can get out that they don't they want them to tell their families. Whereas the people sleeping, you know, they're not going to be talking to their families anyway. So right. Uh... Um, I because it doesn't the book sure. doesn't I'm the like book say, say it, it it says it wants to keep um it keep it a secret from the general public. To, yeah. to stop any kind of panic so yeah, maybe yes. maybe that's that is why they they're kept in the dark because they're they're a potential leak towards the public yeah because they might tell their families because they might be yeah. worried about it i suppose so. yeah they, they still do get like you, you know i can't remember which one it is but they, they one of them gets a birthday message so i assume you can send messages back yeah yeah uh, yeah one, one final point about the actual the audiobook itself I don't know if this is in the, the hard the hard copy of the book, but the the sort of prologue or uh, I don't know if that's the right word to call, but the bit at the start where Arthur the, C. Clarke is, is telling you Oh the author's the, note. Yeah, the author that's the one. The author's note, he's telling you know, he's telling you about the, the writing process. I thought that was really nice. And I think yeah, I would like to I, see that more in books. Maybe not yeah. maybe at the end for some I, books, but yeah, I, I, I always, really like that. Yeah. I always skip author notes because I think most of them you know, there's nothing great on them, but that was a really, really good offers note, and I would say it's essential listening to anybody who is listening to the the audiobook to to give that a listen to because it's it's really fascinating. 
Yeah, yeah, I thought that, like, whenever, because it, it kind of discusses um, kind of behind the scenes as well as the movie. Um, I think that's probably why it was so interesting, because he does talk about Stanley Kubrick and the making of the movie mm. as well. Um, mm. I think, because yeah, yeah, it's not just about the book. Um, I guess this is a unique case, but um, no, yeah, I think it was a nice touch to add to the audiobook. Um, I think they might have recorded that in 2001, because I think he uh, says. I think he says that, yeah. Yeah, he says that you know Stanley couldn't be with us on the the, t- the actual year of two thousand and one when when this is all supposed to have taken place. So, um, no, yeah, um, I thought it was good. Um, so I guess now we'll move on then to the star rating. Um, so, Michael, um, do you want to tell us what your rating was? Um, going by the performance and the story yeah so i thought the the plot was pretty strong the mystery was compelling the characters they were about cardboard cut out they were just there to serve the plot um but I, I i liked the big questions the book asked i think it's and i could and i just i kept thinking about it if i had read this story at the time and i just kept for for some reason this lesson free that's all i could think of i was like how mind-blowing is it that this came out when it did it's so ahead of its time it's such a good lesson so if i was to put it on pure, pure subjective enjoyment how much i enjoyed this lesson free i would say it was a 4.5 for me it was a it was a really strong strong lesson i enjoyed it more than the first time i listened to it which I would have said was probably a four at that time, but the second lesson, I got even more out of it and I enjoyed it more and it, it felt like the questions spoke to me more. The performance, the performance by Dick Hill, it was, it wasn't, um, there's not much I can really say about it, to be honest. It didn't, it didn't elevate the book, but it didn't detract from anything either, I don't think, because it just, it just felt very solid. It, it felt, I thought the Hal performance he did was spot on. It was just a, nearly perfect uh impression of the hal in the movie so i thought that was really good and i would i would ty has ty has written until that 4.5 yeah for me i as i said i had a hard time listening to this one uh the first as again the first half i i found really hard to get through and i thought i still think there was a lot of payoff there was a lot of um build up for not a lot of payoff okay there's a lot of stuff that he, that could have been said in a few words, I think. Okay, right. But uh, the second half kind of builds it up again. Uh, it sort of, well, not builds it up, but it sort of holds the rest of the book up. Or my rating of the book, rather, I should say. Uh, and I think, yeah, I'm kind of... My opinion is kind of jaded by the fact that I saw the film first. <laughs> so... I, I yeah I didn't get that a lot of the questions that you would have I I didn't I just didn't have them because I knew the answer you know so I think I think for the book I would give it a three <laughs> but uh that feels almost wrong to do that but yeah I'm gonna say middle of the road like a three out of five what did you uh, think of uh the audio what did you think of the performance Stephen because you uh, are a bit fussier than I am anyway yeah, on that- narrators. That's that's what I was gonna say. Yeah. So the the performance, I think I would also go middle of the road, but for for the exact reasons you said, Michael, like it doesn't detract from it, but it doesn't improve it either. It's sort of just it's fine. 
Although I will say that I wish that it was uh, Arthur C. Clarke had read the full book, <laughs> because there was a sort of there was a moment at the start where it switched between his author's note and the the chapter one, where I was like, whoa, was, hold on, I I think I would prefer it if the other guy <laughs> was reading this, you know. <laughs> so that that was, uh, yeah, I think if if it had been Arthur C. Clarke himself, I I think I would have wrote it rated it a bit higher. Maybe a four yeah. or 4.5. I, yeah. I don't know. It's hard, it's hard to say that because obviously yeah. he didn't, so I don't know. I don't think we've ever talked about our rating system, like how our rating system works, but it is based on subjective enjoyment. So we're not saying, like, Stephen giving this a free isn't saying this is a terrible book that shouldn't be written. It's just, it's purely from his subjective enjoyment oh, yeah, of the book. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. Yeah, I'm not saying it's a terrible book. I'm saying I didn't enjoy. Well, yeah, not that I didn't. Exactly, that yeah. I didn't enjoy that it was a sort of... Yeah neutral road. yeah <laughs> read yeah. for me yeah uh i just i don't think we've ever explained how our rating system works i just wanted to put that out there no that's that's a good point yeah um yeah um that's interesting um i feel yeah that's myself i thought that although yeah it does it is a bit slow getting started to actually get to the um you know the main story i think it's like 10 chapters of the moon watcher and then the dr um floyd kind of stuff you know all building up however i personally uh you know enjoy that and because of the setting and space and things like that um i quite enjoyed that it did go that way and that's that they did do this build um in terms of the story i absolutely loved it um you know i was kind of surprised that i would love it because i feel like i thought it would have been kind of because it's an early work of um you know space kind of fiction that mm-hmm. um you know it might not have excited me as much as you know modern day things do but no i thought the the, the mystery in it and of course the the ai as well uh, being a big part i've always heard of hal and like you said it's um comes up on things like recess and things like that i'd seen it before and i knew you know i knew that it was what was going to happen kind of with it but i still loved you know actually experiencing it properly um and yeah for the performance i think it was as you said i think it was a solid performance but there was just nothing special about it i know it wasn't i guess it was a book that there's not a lot of dialogue so it's apart from hal whose voice i think he did do very well it was very close to the movie and it was yeah we've discussed that the you know that that the way he talks is very like it's like somebody's going to murder your whole family kind of voice (laughs) emotionless it's yeah yeah um yeah i thought he did that very well so i feel like if there was if it was a book with more dialogue the narrator probably would have a chance to you know showcase the skills a bit better but because of that you know it's just i think it was just a solid performance um but overall i'm gonna uh, give it a 4.5 as well um yeah i really enjoyed the book um and it was yeah it was probably one of my favorite lessons that i've listened to so far of all my audiobooks <laughs> So moving on now to comparison to other media, we've been back and forth here um, with the film. Of course, this is a very unique case that the film and the story were written together. Um, what did I think then? Just some things from the, the film that are different. Um, the the book uses Saturn. Uh, the movie uses Jupiter. Um, the reason for this um, is because uh, Stanley Kubrick didn't uh, him and his, his special effects supervisors didn't really know what the best way to make the Saturn's rings, so they actually changed it to Jupiter because you know there's no rings; it's easier to represent. Um, 
I thought the audiobook was far superior to the movie. Um, I can see why the movie would have been good um, back in the 60s when you're watching this and no one's ever been to the moon or whatever. Um, you know, this is going to be really intriguing. It's going to, it's visually going to be unlike anything else you've ever seen. Um, but of course now that we've seen things like Star Wars and, you know, all these kind of things that have derived from this, um, the movie for me was very slow. Like, I feel <laughs> there's like a scene where it goes out, he's going out of the ship on, they replaced the AE-35 yeah, unit. Yeah. And rather than just coming out, showing, okay, this thing moves slow and then cutting to him changing the thing, it actually goes round the whole ship in <laughs> a slow yeah. speed. I was like, there's no need for this. But of course there, they were just trying to, you know, give you a sense of what space yeah. was like and things. The Velcro slipper um, scene as well. That was... Yeah, like, yeah, there's just some some scenes and there's like 20 minute like stints without any dialogue and it's just all visual, which, yeah. Um, yeah, where they're eating the, the nutrient paste or whatever that was as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and they're they're like watching the news, and there's just like no words being said to each other. There's no like yeah. emotion, like there's, this, there's this no crack rash. as we would say. Yeah, there's no crack. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it just looked yeah like a very boring kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I, I understand why it's probably like that because yeah. it was going for the the whole visual kind of thing. Like people everything I nutripaste here, yeah, we're like, oh my god, look at this kind of food they're eating. This is amazing. Yeah. Just now we're yeah. Like, no. Yeah. Everything Stanley Kubrick does is so intentional and he puts so much onto every shot. There's there's no way he didn't think of absolutely everything when he was doing it. But as I, as Jonathan said, I think the movie is like it's a product of its time and it would have been absolutely mind blowing to see this when it was released. Um I still have a great appreciation for the movie. I didn't like it on first watch. After reading the book, I like it a lot more when I rewatched it. Had a far greater appreciation for it. And it seems to be the way with like me and Kubrick movies I've uh I don't usually like them on the first watch and then I warm to them as I rewatch them so that's a common theme with me and Kubrick movies I've had the same experience with The Shining and Clockwork Orange and Full Metal Jacket I, I like those movies a lot better on the second and subsequent watches and and the music on this too I wanted to mention that as well that it's so iconic as well isn't it as we got the yeah dun, yeah. Dun, yeah, dun, yeah yeah I don't know where dun, that song dun. came from like that that I think there's actually I read was you know looking up trivia um, that that's that thing that song wasn't you know composed for this a lot of people think it was it's actually something taken from I think it was the early nineteen uh, right, hundreds right. or the late eighteen. Is but, it um, the planets by thingy? Yeah, the the opening song and the closing song. Um, yeah, that one Michael just uh, gave us a <laughs> demonstration of. Um, yeah, that that was. Uh, yeah, I think Kubrick got that from something else he'd watched, but you know, it was something that was um, he kind of popularized through this movie. Yeah, we see that in the Simpsons. There's a reference a lot to the music. There's a the one that the you know the wee classical piece of music too when they're floating in space. I think is played when Homer is eating his crisps yeah. on his space launch. Oh, that that's been reused. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah I've, I've heard that one lots of times. But that that there one that's always the the opening song is always when like a sun's coming up or like a planet's moving or something yeah. like that it's always like some kind of space reference when people yeah. use that now um which is kind of we shout back that um there's a wee quote here i actually have um i take, took from wikipedia to kind of summarize the difference in the the movie and the book it says the novel has a strong narrative structure which fleshes out the story while the film is mainly a visual experience which i absolutely yeah. agree with um yeah i feel like they both complement each other really well um 
but I feel like the movie makes absolutely no sense if you haven't read the book. <laughs> absolutely. It's a great, um, like, you know, when you're in, in English class and you have to, like, dissect a book, what does this mean? What does this mean? The movie is a great film student movie, I think, because it's so hard to read on first viewing. You have to look at it so closely and pick it apart. But Or you could just read the book and then you know what it all means. Yeah. Yeah, so I guess I can move on to trivia now. So the only trivia I had I've actually already um, brought up. So do you guys have any additional trivia you'd like to add? Well, uh, as I said, the trivia, I liked it because the trivia, a lot of the trivia was up front <laughs> in the author's note. Yeah, if you yeah if you want trivia, re- read the author's note. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah I, I agree. Yeah, I just wanted to like mention the fact that we know like the red eye appears a lot. We see it in Wally, the main villain, and that is is very clearly based on Hal. Um, you guys mentioned recess a couple of times. It's a bit of a deep cut, but that uh, there is an episode on that. I think I've, the Simpsons has loads of loads of uh references to two thousand and one Space Odyssey. I think there's ones in South Park. There's there's an episode where Bender falls in love with the the ship in Futurama, oh, yeah. and and I think a couple of lines are quoted from Space Odyssey. So it's pop culture references everywhere about this book. The Portal series of games is very um, the villain in that is in both of those games is a fairly derivative of Hal. Yeah. Even the eye and stuff specifically. Yeah. The eye and the sort of. Um, Things they you could even like say <laughs> like, the is the Terminator I influenced by Hal's yeah, red light? Yeah, it's red. Yeah, it's red. And Terminators, the whole like um, plot of Terminator, kind of I say would be evolved from this. From oh God, so many science fiction you know, movies AI like going wrong. Sort of. Yeah, thing. like would Interstellar exist without this movie? Absolutely not. Yeah, so I think we all agree that this um, uh, piece of work is highly influential on most things um, space and AI related in today's media. Um, and still very relevant. The themes are just still so relevant. It's it's amazing that it was written when it was. I mean, I think we could find trivia for hours, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. Um, so... That kind of um, concludes our discussion about the audiobook. Um, so we'll kind of move on now to what else we're um, consuming or reading um, other kind of media. So, um, yeah, Michael, if you want to talk about what you're listening to, anything interesting? Or... Yeah, so um, recently I finished, I, I talked about on the first episode how I was in the process of finishing Better Call Saul. I have now finished it and um, I definitely recommend it. The the ending is not like this huge climax. I would say that happens around the mid-season finale, so don't be expecting anything like that. It's it's kind of tying up everything just in the second half of the season, but it's it's great for giving closure if that's what you're after. I, I would definitely recommend it. I think Vince Gilligan has made two of the greatest shows ever and Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad. I think it's just... I just so appreciate this, what he's done, and... um. Uh, just trying to think anything else that I've I've watched. Um, I, I obviously watched a Space Odyssey since we were last talking about. It, I talked about that. Um, really? What do you think? Might watch and, it. Uh, <laughs> I I, I want to talk about to a podcast I listen to a lot. It's called Reply All. 
to podcast basically about the internet. Um, we first got our computer, I think, in about 2003 or 2004 when the internet was still like the Wild West and there was a lot of mystery surrounding the internet and it was this crazy place. So it's basically like a deep dive into all those stories and it's like this uh, very journalistic approach to internet culture and it, it's uh, it's a phenomenal podcast. I remember going to your house and uh, being on the computer. <laughs> yeah, it seems like we, we had the we had the only computer. It was like one of them stories. <laughs> we had the only computer in the neighborhood. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we, we we had one. You know, my dad's like we computer like. But, uh, I know. Yeah, yeah. ours but was I the just... only free free one there that all the adults weren't using. <laughs> yeah, I I remember just I, yeah, just as an aside, I remember going to your house and playing random games. Like I think we played The Sims. <laughs> oh, and, yeah. Uh, Wish we could have a whole Terminator. podcast dedicated to some. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Stephen. I, um, I have watched other stuff. I just can't can't remember now. Um, yeah, me. Uh, I'm still watching Andor every week. I'm loving it. It's just amazing. It's like uh, it's just a really good Star Wars uh, series. I would definitely recommend it. Um, what else? Uh, I'm also listening to the audiobook for Game of Thrones. Uh, which is another of the reasons why I had such a hard time listening to this, <laughs> because I get so invested in the Game of Thrones one that, you know, it was, it's kind of hard to switch off. To, to Langadang to dong. I haven't got to that point yet. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Uh, what else? Um, I'm trying to think. Um, do, 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 do. There's something coming out that I was going to mention. Uh, I want to go see the um, the Weird Al movie. <laughs> If mm. if you're up for that, <laughs> yeah, I would love to that. see that movie. Yeah, I'll, I'll yeah, I want to see that. Uh, there's something else that just came out, but I can't remember what it is that I want. I need to start. Oh, actually, last night I watched the uh, what's it called now? See how they run on uh, Disney Plus. It, it's really good. It's like a, it's a sort of who done it sort of mystery uh, film, but it's based on. Uh, a book by well, is it a book? Uh, An Agatha Christie. Uh, the I think it's called Three Blind Mice or something. But there, there's a play for that book that's been going for like sixty years or something, and it's 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 been in the same sort of theater for I don't know how long. But the only time it ever stopped like a continuous run was during COVID. But but anyway, the 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 film is kind of loosely well not loosely it's kind of inspired and sort of uh, uh, an, an homage to that play and I thought it was really good I yeah, it's, it's an interesting one before you go Jaffan I just want to I just want to say I remember what I also wanted to talk about that I watched um, Top Gun Maverick and I think I'm the last person in the world to watch it well, I haven't seen it yet <laughs> oh have you guys that no it's it's really good it's so so good I can't I can't really add it because so much has been like said about it. That's it's phenomenal. So it is. It's like I. It's like uh, they talked. Think of one of the biggest talking points about it is how they've used so much practical effects and like how it makes the movie feel so real and immediate. And it kind of it's a weird comparison they make, but it kind of makes me think of the original Jurassic Park in that way. It's like you, it, everything feels more real and more tense because you know this is a real set and these are are real stunts being performed i know that they don't use real dinosaurs but they used prost- real prosthetics <laughs> what do you mean <laughs> sorry mean sorry steven i don't know thought- <laughs> i'm sorry steven i didn't mean to didn't mean for you to find out like this find out what 
<laughs> anyway, the last just 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 to finish off for me, I'm also playing a lot of Marvel Snap. If you're aware of this game, no, it's a it's a mobile card uh, game, but it's right. like it's amazing, and it's it's such a time sink for me. Even though the games themselves are like you know less than five minutes long most of the time, but it's just so fun. I would recommend. Yeah. And unlike a lot of mobile game, it's not pay to pay to win or pay to play. Yeah, you can buy things, but it, you don't have to at all. In fact, like like most card games, you would see on particularly on mobile, you kind of have to buy packs and stuff. And this, you you cannot buy cards, which is amazing. Yeah, you can only earn them. So yeah, that's I would definitely recommend Marvel Marvel Snap. Yeah, so it's not a petty one kind of game. It's a no. It's, yeah, you, it's have, you have to actually yeah earn earn your. The the only things you can really buy is like variants for cards, but you have to own the card first, sort of thing. Like the best, yeah. So yeah, it's it's really good. Um, <clears throat> I guess for myself then, um, I'm actually listening to the, uh, it's actually a course. It's a course of lectures. Um, by um, the great courses is the supplier. Um, they have like a bunch of co- like they have hundreds of courses on all different things. Um, but the one I'm specifically listening to is called books that have made history, books that can change your life. Um, so very relevant to discuss here in the podcast. Um, it essentially goes free. Um, I think it's about thirty five um, lectures, so each one's a different book um, of the most influential kind of books of all time. Um, so I think the first episode's about the Iliad. And then, you know, it even covers the religious books like the Quran, the Bible, um, Gilgamesh, things like that. Um, it talks about George Orwell's 1984. You know, it's, it's, it's basically their selection of um, books that they think it can change your life if you read it, change the way you think kind of thing. And the lectures, you know, you would read the if you were interested, um, you would read the book beforehand and then listen to the lecture because, you know, they kind of discuss it's like there's no spoiler holding back or nothing like that obviously for most of the books they're like the bible and all you know it's not really possible to give spoilers like but um, mm-hmm. um jesus dies in the end did you know that <laughs> shut up no um, way <laughs> um but yeah um you know it's really it's a really good thing uh, it's only 30 minute lectures too like it's kind of quite nice to listen to um and the guy has a good voice the the one the one that i'm listening to is narrated by rufus j fears you call him um, but that consumes a lot of my lesson time. I'm also at the minute listening to The Great Gatsby, um, which could, of course, you know, is quite a pop popular book. Yeah, that probably will appear in this podcast at some time. So I'll be all ready to go. I just need to watch the film. Um, <laughs> there, I think there's several films. Well, yeah, the most recent, the Leonardo DiCaprio recent one. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's me kind of listening um, in terms of audiobooks at the moment. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm working my way through Better Call Saul. Um, so Michael's already discussed this. Um, geez, I'm, I must be doing a, an episode every three weeks or so. <laughs> I'm absolutely <laughs> slogging through it, but um, I think I'm going to be starting House of the Dragon too, um, pretty soon. So that will be another show I'll have on the go. I need to listen as well. Yeah, um, apparently it's very good. Um, so. House of the Dragons podcast spin off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so that's everything for me uh, in terms of what I've got going on. Yeah, so I think that's everything on what, what the other things we're consuming. So now I want to move on to um, plugs. Um, so first of all, um, I'll start off with um, plugs for this podcast. 
which is that we have a Twitter and an email set up by um, Michael. So thanks for setting them up, Michael. Um, so no the Twitter handle and the email address will be in the comments. Um, so I think yeah, we'll put it in the description. Yeah, it's um, what is at audio club or at audiobook underscore club. And yeah, the email yeah. is just the audiobook club podcast at gmail.com. Um, but yeah, we'll yeah. put them under the description so you can um, see them. Um, I don't have anything. Yeah, if you want to send us any um, recommendations, you can email us or tweet at us as well. We will we will log anything that comes to us. We're still figuring out how to handle uh, listener recommendation episodes and all. It's something that we're going to decide upon, but definitely send for your votes and, and, and we'll uh, collate them. Yeah, I don't have any personal things to plug, so I'll put it up to you guys. Do you have anything? Uh, play so, Marvel uh, Snap. <laughs> <laughs> I am. Uh, I, I told, talked about a couple of weeks, a couple of episodes ago, about the podcast I was working on. Um, I wanted to have that out for Halloween. I underestimated how much work it was. It's something I'm still working on. I would say I'm about seventy percent on it now. So I hope to get. I hope next episode I can say that I've put it out there. But, what um, what is it again, Michael? Like, um, so I, I I've was. written a lot of I've like got horror stories on the bank, so it's kind of like my narrated version of like Twilight Zone kind of anthology thing. So are these your own stories? Yes, yes. Oh, and um, very interesting. Yeah, and I, I also wanted to say that I write um I, I put some of my fiction up on um on the site Wattpad um I've got a full more or less a full book on there uh fantasy book. And I've got like a wee serial I'm doing at the minute. It's like a wee urban fantasy called The Shadow Sisters. It's kind of like a wee, it's kind of a Stranger Thing high school drama kind of story. So it's it, that doesn't have a lot of views right now. It's still, it's only 13 parts on. So it's kind of a newer one, but I, I put up a new wee part every week. Yeah, you'll have to um, yeah, put the links to um, these things in the descriptions whenever you uh, yeah, get them. Get yeah, them I will on. do, yeah. Um, I'd be interested to read that, and you, you never know if it's good enough. It could appear on a podcast um, someday. So. <laughs> the um the see the the podcast I'm working on the intro. It's so so cheesy, but I, I'm like hamming it up and loving it. Like that's the way that's the way it should be. To be honest, yeah. If you have just yeah. a pure cool beat or something, that's no good. Like you need all you. Yeah, it's so over the top cheese. Like it has like a, just the take on Twilight Zone. Here, did did you know that your uh, epic fantasy is number two hundred and sixty one on Animals on this website? Oh, on the nice. Animals uh, substance nice. genre. Happy days. Yeah, I, I actually actually started writing that after me and Stephen went to see the Force Awakens I because that. uh, I was like I was like trying to write epic fantasy at the time and my plots were getting like really convoluted and I was like I'm just gonna write something and then we watched Force Awakens and I was like oh, that's such a simple story it's just like a heroic fantasy of like I'm just gonna write a simple story just to get something finished so that was what I produced after that yeah cool um I guess if there's nothing else then um I can do this part now where I hand over the power of host to Michael and he will discuss his next pick I'm so excited for this I've been I've been waiting on this all week <laughs> yes I agonized over this pick. There was, I've, I've actually changed it since I last spoke to you guys. <laughs> Again, I have. So, I wanted to do one of the most popular books of all time. The book I'm picking is not that book. We're probably I might do that again. I'm gonna, I might do that book 
for my next pick. This book I'm doing is still extremely popular. It's called The Humans by Matt Haig. Uh, I'm going to just send into our private chat here. I'm going to send it to these guys. They can have a look at the cover. Uh, have you guys read this book or heard of this book? I've no. never heard of it, no. Uh, just for the listeners, could you, if nobody wants to actually click the link or anything, could you describe what the cover is? Uh, let me just open it up here. Uh... Um, I've got it here. It's basically a pit, uh, like a back back set of stars and the moon and a sh- one shooting star, and there's a dog in the middle um, looking up at the sky. <clears throat> yeah, it's like the uh, it's like the silhouette of a dog, kind of. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so. Do you guys want to have a guess at what this book might be about? Yeah, I'll, I'll go. Um, so based on the title and the, the cover art, it's, I'm going to assume that it's a book told from the point of view of a dog. And his thoughts, or his or her thoughts, on the humans that he is owned by and their day-to-day lives. Okay, Jonathan? Okay, um, I was thinking exactly what Stephen's done, but they play the game right. I guess I have to say something different. <laughs> um, the, the, so the, the whole thing that Stephen said there, that yeah, he's, it's a front point of view of the dog, and the um, you know he's kind of describing his world and things it gets, um, and obviously mainly focused on his owners and stuff. Um, however, the fact that he's looking up at the sky... Um, it makes me think of some some kind like you know the night sky. It's always some kind of space travel kind of thing as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to add on to Stevens and say some kind of part where this dog ends up in space. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. Right. We will. Uh, okay. We. I guess we so will see you guys. <laughs> I guess we will see next episode how close you guys are. Alright, that's all from us anyway. We'll, we will see you next episode where will we be reading or listening to The Humans by Matt Haig and that is narrated by Mark Meadows and I, I love his name. <laughs> Thanks Thank for you. watching everyone. Or listening. Yeah, bye. Bye.